0: You're listening to the weekly podcast with Pastor Steve McCoy from 360 Church in Sarasota, Florida. We hope this message inspires you to press beyond ordinary. We are uh, continuing our conversation about uh, 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 the good fight. Let me just always like for the sake of those maybe that are joining us here in the third inning, uh, just to bring you up so you don't feel lost. And so we, we have tackled this issue because there's so many things that we fight against in our lifetime some of those are silly things some of those are political things some of them are worthless things those two last ones go, go together sometimes <laughs> Uh they you know they're just all kinds of things paul the apostle who wrote so much of the new testament on his last letter to his young protege timothy said i have fought the good fight this was the end of his life this is how he characterized the journey that he had had as a Christ follower, we too want to say that to Christ. We want to say that on our on our deathbed, so to speak. I have fought the good fight. We will have other fights to fight along the way, but there are there is a good fight, and there uh, and that's the fight we want. So we've looked at the the life of Joseph. Jo- Joseph, <laughs> I can say that uh, that was kind of my combo of Moses and Joseph, like Joseph. Now somewhere in that <laughs> ballpark. So we've been looking at the life of Joseph and the Old Testament. And let me, I, I thought what we would do is go through the story in just a little bit and just kind of do some highlights in case, for example, you don't know the story or you could use a review because the details of the story matter today and the focus of our conversation. And we're going to do, you know, when you're watching one of those movies where they, they flash it to the end and then they bring you back and they flash it to the end. I hate those movies. That's what we're going to do today, uh, just for your enjoyment, So, because you'll see it makes a difference. Here's the big fight today, the, 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 the good fight. And it's a fight that every person, I believe, gets a turn at fighting. It's a fight we hate but it's a fight that comes our way and we don't go looking for it. What, do I, what are we talking about today? It's the age-old question, why do bad things happen to good people? And when those things happen, today the good fight is for the bigger picture. And when you're going through those difficult times, sometimes they're shadows, sometimes they're darker than shadows, sometimes they're relational, sometimes they're employment, sometimes they're changes, sometimes they're health, we have all had them. And the older you get, the more your library has grown with those moments. I've had people that intersect as a pastor, of course. Talked to a lot of people in those those dark moments. It's part of part of what we do as pastors and shepherds. And I've seen all kinds of reactions. And even from the strongest of people in those moments, it's easy for our humanity, all of us, me included. It's easy for that to crumble, our resolve, our commitment to crumble. Look at the, the book of Job and just read the book of Job and, and God was bragging on his boy to our archenemy, Satan. Look at Job, consider his life. I mean, he is the one that God picked as the character, as the example, as the model, and yet when you read the book of Job, there are moments where he just collapses, his resolve. Crumbles and topples and 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 there's none of us that don't only face this But there that there's sometimes we lose that that good fight i'm I just as we begin a couple of verses in the bible that address this that are completely anti-logical they go a, a, a com, a completely counter to what we would naturally think are be how we would behave James chapter one and verse two, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds. The the Bible has so many paradoxes. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That's a paradox, who does that? The, The prodigal son, from a human point of view, makes no sense. That a father who has been cheated, who has been mistreated, who has done nothing but good for his his son, is on the return of the prodigal runs and just embraces him. Who does that? There are so many stories over and over and over, and we've sung about them this morning already, that God's love doesn't make any sense. This doesn't make any sense that when we're going through the toughest time in our life, consider it pure joy. Just like, wow, that is, this is fantastic. I just lost my job. And man, it's the best day. How's your day going? Fantastic. We, we looked at it last week. Living in paradise, just lost my job. I have no idea where my next paycheck comes. How's it going? A plus, man. It doesn't make sense. First Thessalonians chapter 5 says something different, uh, similar. Be joyful always, remember? Consider it pure joy. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in every single circumstance, in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. I remember growing up as a, as a kid, and maybe your parents did the same thing. We lived in Virginia, so the, the raking of the leaves uh, was always a big deal around autumn, you know. Come November, all the leaves have fallen, you gotta rake them out of your leaves, and out of your yard, put big piles, you jump in them. Your dad tells you not to jump in them. When he's not looking, you jump in them, because uh, they're dangerous things, apparently, in leaves. You shouldn't jump in. And uh, and we hated raking, my brother and I hated raking leaves. And my dad knew it because it was obvious with you know the grumpy look on our face, and he would say to us, I demand that you smile while you rake leaves. Why he did that, I don't know. (laughs) And sometimes it feels like as we're going, okay, I'll be joyful on the outside, but inside, I hate it. I don't get it. I can't believe divorce has happened to me. I can't believe that after serving God, this is happening to me, that I've lost my job. I can't believe I've got cancer. It makes no sense. I don't like it, and I'm angry with God. I've lost count of how many conversations I've had with people across the years in those moments. We read the manual, the field manual, and we know, okay, this is, we're supposed to consider it all joy, and sometimes we win that good fight, and sometimes we don't win that good fight, that's why we're having the conversation today. That there might be someone, there most likely is someone, I'm sure there's someone, and probably a plural of someones here in this room, at home, that are saying, I need this conversation today. And if you don't need the conversation today, I promise you, you'll need the conversation tomorrow, or the next day, or the next day, or the next day. I was reminded sometimes when we were fighting this good fight, you remember the, 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 the enchanting uh, Christmas movie uh, called The Christmas Story? And uh, when little Ralphie got the bunny suit, his grandmother gave him or something like that, and, and he looked like this, you know, <laughs> sometimes I feel that's how I'm fighting this fight, trying my best. To make sense of it all, trying my best to fight for the bigger picture. That's what, that's the secret, and that's the key today. So let me go through the story of Joseph with you in the Old Testament, in case you don't know it, or just as a review, we'll just kind of hit highlights. As we saw in the first week, a couple weeks ago, Joseph was one of 12 boys, his son Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, but Jacob was the dad. He had 12 sons. Um, and Jacob was the 11th almost at the end the baby almost the baby and Jacob the dad loved Joseph more than any of the brothers that create tension Jacob made a coat a beautiful coat for uh, for uh, for Joseph and the boys this, uh, the, the other brothers hated him all the more and then J- Joseph came along and said hey I've got I, I've got a couple dreams that God gave to me I want you to file that if you don't know the story a couple dreams that God has, given to me as visions of the future, and all of you guys are going to be bowing down. That just took him over the top. They had planned to kill him, but one of the brothers was a little more compassionate than the other. So they sold him. They saw a band of Midianites who were not friendly with God's people. They saw a band of Midianites coming down the road. They sold Joseph to the Midianites. The Midianites then took Joseph and took him down to Egypt and sold him to Potiphar, who was the captain guard of the head of Egypt, the Pharaoh. So they sold him to Potiphar. Potiphar put him in his palace. He began to work and was impressed by Joseph. He was a good worker. He was smart, intelligent. And then Potiphar's wife had a liking for Joseph and made a move. And he resisted that move, and then she claimed that he had tried to attack her. So he was automatically put in prison. Now, if you just think about it, and just stop right at that moment in the story, this makes no sense, this is ridiculous. I had a vision from God. I was the most loved by my father. And there was a plan for the future. And at the moment of that plan, I'm falsely accused. I haven't even done anything, I didn't even look her way. And yet I'm I'm down in this prison, and back then you can imagine without me giving any details what prison was like. It was in the ground, it was under, many of the, the prisons were like dungeons in the ground. While he was in prison, he met two guys, a baker and a butler, and he got, God gave him a dream. Uh, God gave Joseph dreams for each of them. One was gonna get their head lopped off and one was gonna thrive. Sure enough, they both got out of prison, the, 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 the butler and the baker, it's exactly what happened in, the, in Joseph's dream. And they forgot about Joseph and they left him in the grave. He was taken when he was 17 and the historians tell us that he it wasn't until he was 30 years old that he was taken out just think about that unfairly incarcerated for that many years it happens even in our generation still and in that moment if I'm him I am asking why i have turned bitter There is no hope. We get to read the end of the story, but if you're living in the middle of the story, you don't know the end of the story. And in the middle of the story is where we get stuck. In the middle of the story is where it's the hardest to fight the good fight. In the middle of the story, when you don't know what's on the next page, when in the middle of the story, when it looks like there's not even a page left in the book, is when we become bitter and angry or hopeless or dismal. Or depressed. I'm sure somebody's been there. I have. And in that moment, Pharaoh had a dream. This is a book of dreams. Pharaoh had a dream. And nobody could figure it out. He's kind of getting a little bit hotter in the collar. Nobody could figure it out. And the guy that was in prison with him that survived said, Hey, I remember a guy in prison. I know a guy. (laughs) And let's see if he can do it. And sure enough, Joseph interpreted the dream brilliantly because it was coming from God. And basically, they made Joseph prime minister, and prime minister of the entire country. And Joseph, because he had been given dreams of what would happen in the future with the entire region, not just Egypt, the entire region, the promised land, Canaan, Egypt, all the surrounding areas, that there was going to be a severe drought, a severe famine. So in his brilliance, his God-gifted brilliance, Joseph said, as the prime minister, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start supplying, pro- provide, collecting provisions and supplies for the upcoming uh, famine. Made no sense. Nobody was doing that in that day. Noah had a food bank. Nobody, it, it made no sense like Noah building the ark before a drop, even before a cloud was formed, but he was following the plan of God. Now, how did he become bitter? God would say, I probably have to use somebody else, or we're going to have to do some recalibration on the inside out. But because he, kept, he maintained a resolve and fought the good fight, God could use him. He brought him out, and sure enough, they had just had storehouses of food and grain and all the things they could preserve. And sure enough, the famine came. And every person in every region around Egypt and in Egypt would have died. They could not have survived this famine, unprecedented, unless Joseph had had the plan that God had given to him. Meanwhile, back in the ranch, with Jacob, the dad, and the other 11 sons, they realized, we're gonna have to go to Egypt. They didn't even, they thought Dad thought that Joseph was dead. Hadn't seen him for years and years. But he came to his apex at 30 years old. I told you each week that this Joseph is a great picture of Jesus Christ in so many ways. Brought out his ministry really began at 30 years old. And so Joseph is now the prime minister and the, the, the dad and the family have to go and come to Egypt in order to get food from this guy, I don't even know. Then the big reveal happened. They got food, they survived. It's a really important part of the story. They got food, and then they, they realized, through a lot of circumstances, I'm having to abbreviate, they realized, wow, the brothers realized, wow, that's Joseph, who a lot of us wanted to kill, and we sold off, and basically trafficked him to other people. And in that moment, we pick it up at the end, in this moment where the brothers realize we are standing in front of the person that we victimized. In Genesis chapter 45, verse four, then Joseph said to his brothers in that moment, come here. Now just think about that. Come here, come close to me. And when he had done so, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. Enter jaw drop. (laughs) His brothers were absolutely freaked out like we would have been. And the reason they were freaked out is because they were looking at just one sentence of one paragraph on one page and one chapter of the whole novel. They were not fighting for any bigger picture but their own hide, their own skin. In that moment, they must have thought, oh no, we're in big trouble. And everything that's been done to him, and only God knows what's been done to him in the last X number of years, he's gonna do back to us, why? Because that's the way the world works. That's all they knew, that's what they did. We don't like him. let's get rid of them. Sounds pretty similar. Let's counsel him. (laughs) And in that moment, they were so freaked out. And in Genesis chapter 45, Joseph whispers these words, and now do not be freaked out. Don't be distressed. And don't be angry with yourselves for selling me out, for selling me here. Okay, who says that? Honestly, who says that? I, I'd like to muster all my Christianese in me and say, I would have said that. I don't think so. I would have found some biblical verse for revenge. <laughs> I would have manipulated it and twisted it and turned it upside down and made myself feel super good about putting them in the same prison at least the same number of years, and you would too. You're just looking all cleaned up, but uh, you know you would. (laughs) This was evidence that that Joseph was able to consider it pure joy. It wasn't just words. It wasn't just an intellectual agreement. It wasn't just the quote-unquote right thing to do. And how how did he do that? There are two things today I want to land on. Two big picture ideas that will, I believe, help us to how do we have the same attitude. I don't think either one of these, to be honest with you, is innovative. Sometimes when we dig into the word of God, we don't always need something new. We just simply need a reminder. So The first big picture is this. Why do good things happen to bad people, and what do we do, and how do we fight the good fight? The first big picture is this. It's all about the personal character that God is trying to build in us. I remind you that God predestined us to be conformed into the image of his son, who suffered greatly, who was beaten, Brutalized, crucified, martyred, executed, whipped. And in in our process of life, I would say to you, if only good things happen to us, we will have a deficit in our character. We will be deficient in our character. James chapter one, we go back. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith develops perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work. Why? So that you may be ripe. That's what that word means, mature and complete, not lacking anything, which means the counter of that is that if we don't have these things in our life, we will be Incomplete and we will be lacking certain things that chisel us How do we know patience unless we're put in a situation that is so Excruciatingly long How will we know mercy unless we have begged God in moments to help and he does? How will we trust God when he doesn't answer the way that we want him to ever? Sometimes we think if we just wait long enough, God will answer exactly the way we want to. It's just a matter of time. And God says it's not the matter of time. Paul had something, right? The thing that just, with the thorn in his flesh, he said, I begged God for three times. And God never, ever took it away. That's why, to be honest with you, the, the name it and claim it version of Christianity is not biblical. I'll say it out loud. With all due respect, we are not God, and only God can name and claim things. Should we have faith and see things that are not seen? Absolutely. Should we have hope? Absolutely. But it is God who is sovereign, and we can never take the place of a sovereign God. If God wants something to happen, it's going to happen. If God doesn't want something to happen, it won't happen. Our, can prayer change things? Yes. Has prayer changed the heart of God at times? Yes. But at the end of the day, God is God and none of us are. When we go through those circumstances, those situations, then we can trust God in the sovereignty. And in trusting God, he begins to build character in us. I was reading a story about a guy named Jonathan Fleming. I put his picture up on the, on the uh, screen. Jonathan Fleming was at Disney, enjoying a vacation with his family. 1,100 miles away, let me repeat that, 1,100 miles away, a murder took place. Someone claimed it was him, which would be physically impossible. At the time, he had a receipt of the hotel he was staying at in, in Orlando, 1,100 miles away. But some corrupt person didn't want to enter that receipt into court, and he was found guilty of first-degree murder. He was put in prison two years, four years, six years, eight years, 10 years, 12 years. 14 years, 16 years, 18 years, 20 years, 22 years, 24 years. 24 years. Until someone came forward and said, I actually saw him in Orlando, I saw him at Disney. And they pieced other Evans together and he was exonerated. these were his first words in court thank you jesus mm-hmm. fleming Ixlingham when the judge released him the courtroom erupted in pr- applause the 51 year old think about it 51 years old how much life he lost tearfully hugging his lawyers His relatives cheered, thank you, God, after a judge dismissed the case. I feel wonderful. He said afterwards, I always had faith. I knew that this day would come. Someday, it doesn't sound like a bitter man. It doesn't sound like a man that just couldn't wait to get back at the system, at society, at the guy that that hid the receipt of a hotel. Complete thankfulness. How do you do that? You see a bigger picture. You see a character, you read a story, the character that was developed. Fortunately, the state of New York compensated him, as they should have, with millions of dollars, as they should have. But his reward is greater than millions of dollars. And here's what we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Therefore, we don't lose heart. But though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. For our momentary light affliction is producing. Watch watch that. The machine is the challenges, the afflictions. And that machine is producing in us. Not self-will. Not self-help, but it's the actual hard stuff that is happening to us. That is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, and the things which are not seen are eternal. That's the big picture. Big picture number one. Why is this happening to me? Not the right question. Because God's already answered that. The right question is, what is God trying to develop in me? What character is God developing in me? What character do I have the privilege? I was just talking to someone in a very, very difficult situation. And they literally said to me, Steve, I feel so honored that God would choose me to go through this. Because he knows that I'm going to grow in a certain way to look more like him. Now, who says that? It's someone who's fighting for the bigger picture. Here's the second thing, and this is mind blowing. Okay, get ready. I like to give you a little warning. Warning, mind getting ready to be blown. <laughs> we know this verse, and sometimes we like to quote the first part of it in Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know, we don't guess, we don't hope, we know that in all things, good, bad, and ugly, God works for the good of those who love him. And sometimes we put a period right there. But it goes on to say who have been called, charged, challenged by God according to his purpose, not our purpose. You see, we're not living our lives inserting God's plan. We are living God's plan, inserting our lives. It's a big difference. The, second, the first big picture is that God is chiseling character, and the second big picture is God has a reason, a bigger purpose that we often can't see, and often it has nothing to do with you. Often it has nothing to do with you. There. Let me just, if you might, for those of you who know me, you might have heard this story. So you can either listen again or go grab some coffee. When we moved to Sarasota in, two, in January 2001, my wife and I, we didn't have kids at the time. We were trying to sell our house on the East Coast and it would not sell one month, two months, three months, four months, five months, six months, seven months, eight months. and I just went on and on and on. We didn't have a place to live. We we're living in a back room of somebody's house. In fact, that somebody was kind enough to let us stay there. But he definitely was the biggest extrovert I've ever met in my life. <laughs> he woke us up with a foghorn. And I wish I was kidding. Uh, <laughs> but we're thankful that he left, let us live in the back bedroom of this, this house. Couldn't shut the windows all the way in this house. (laughs) It was our introduction to Sarasota. A lot of bugs, a lot of humidity. My parents also were so excited to move to Sarasota. Their place sold in two weeks, which made it even more, well, let's say resentful. (laughs) My brother lived here. We were all gonna be together for the first time in decades. We'd been separated all different parts of the country. First time, we were so excited. And so we moved in, my wife's working at the shopping mall and I'm working in the church and just some super hard times, but we kept hoping and praying, please God, sell the house. Well, about month four or five, we found the perfect house. It wasn't any big special house, but my wife taught piano. I was teaching some piano and it had like a perfect living room where you could set up the piano and man, this, we knew that God had given us this house. So I started, I I reserved the house, 1,000 bucks a month, 1,000 bucks a month. Month one, month two, month 3,000 bucks, month four, month 5,000 bucks. And I couldn't understand that I had moved over here to follow God's call, and he wasn't aligning with my plan. and after five months, my bank account was being tanked, and I had to give up. We had to give up the the house that we were saving here in the neighborhood called The Grove, some of you know it. We had to give it up. I lost five grand, we didn't have a lot to lose to begin with, and it was so confusing. And to be honest, so angering. This is. I'm just confessing to you today. It's thank you for saving me time and counseling. It just helps me get it out. And so, my parents house sat for us, and for eleven months, for that stupid house to sell. And it finally sold, and they moved over in October. And in two weeks, we were all together, and. It was just like amazing, after decades. And then my parents were in a car accident, a horrific car accident, and my dad was killed. And my mom was in the hospital for 18 months with a severely broken neck. Okay, this is making no sense at all. And maybe God himself is ridiculous. My parents had laid a deposit on a a house here in Sarasota to be built. They had poured the foundation when the accident had happened. It was already ready to go. They had just celebrated their 50th wedding anniversary. And my mom was looking to my brother and I, what should we do with the house? And we said, hey, let's treat it like dad's last gift to you. And let's just go ahead and build a house. Well, lo and behold, there was another lot that was just dirt cheap, because it was only dirt, that my wife and I can now purchase. It was only eight houses from my mom. When we, when God gave us the idea to plant a church called 360, we needed somewhere where the rent was free. <laughs> So my mom, which was eight doors away, completely removed all the furniture of her living room so that we could open a church with 30 people in a worship band in the living room of 4401 Reflections Parkway. And the relationship continued because my little boys could run down and see grandma and we could have a relationship, and then you look back on those moments and you say, thank you God for not listening to my stubborn, resentful voice when I screamed at you, I want that house. Just being honest with you, Pastor Steve, perfect Christian, moment of breaking. Thank you, God, for being sovereign. Thank you, God, for not giving me what I was asking for. Thank you, God, for now making sense of it. My mom needed us eight houses away. She didn't need us in 14 neighborhoods away, but God knew that, it's amazing. Joseph, And when he was speaking to his brothers, he said these words in Genesis chapter 45. He said, guys, don't be freaked out, don't be distressed, and don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here because, watch, it was to save lives. Think of the big picture. What about me? I lost 13 years in prison, treated, eating moldy bread and blah, who knows what happened in 13 years of prison? It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Even though I was trafficked. God sent me ahead of you. Because it's a big famine. For two years now, there's been a famine in the land. And for the next five years, there's not gonna be any farming. No plowing, no reaping. He says again, but God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you, watch it, a remnant on the earth. To save your lives, by a great deliverance. (laughs) Okay, wowza, let me just dig a little bit here. If you read the story historically, you're thinking that Joseph was put in place to save all these people physically in the region around Egypt. But God is a prophetic God. He already had the dreams in place. He knew about the famine, but he knew something much greater than the famine. In the book of Genesis, on the third page in chapter uh, three, there becomes a fight, a good fight, between the enemy and between Christ, between Satan and the seed. A seed was promised in the Garden of Eden. And if you look carefully, and you have to dig down deep, there is a battle going on for the seed. What do I mean by that? You remember the story of Egypt, that when when God was going to preserve the seed of the Messiah, then all the kids were going to, all the boys were going to be killed. Christmas story. Also, all the boys are going to be killed. There is a bigger war than you think, a bigger fight than you think going on behind the scenes. God tapped Abraham and said, you're going to be the patriarch. And through your seed, through Isaac, and then Jacob, and then these boys, I'm going to deliver to the earth a Messiah through this lineage. Are you tracking? Let's go back to the same verse. But God has sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant. This remnant was in the lineage of Jacob, in the lineage of Isaac, in the lineage of Abraham. That if they were wiped out, It would have been catastrophic, not just to save the lives of the people in the story, but to save us. It's unbelievable. God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth, and to save your lives by, watch, a great deliverance. Psalm 105 gives a commentary of this moment in history. God called down famine on the land and destroyed all their supplies of food. And he sent a man before them, Joseph, sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with shackles, his neck was put in irons, till what was he foretold came to pass, till the word of the Lord proved him true. Okay. Are you ready for the mind blow, if it's not already? Because I saw a few minds blowing right out the door there. (laughs) Watch. This story about Joseph, It's not about Joseph. Here's how the story begins, watch this. The story of Joseph, quote unquote, begins in Genesis chapter 37. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph just happens to be part of the story of Jacob, Israel, and Israel just happens to be a part of the story of the Old Testament, who delivers the Messiah, which is the story of the New Testament, which delivered to our front door, which is the story of humanity. Sometimes we think, it's not fair, I didn't get the house. It's not fair that I'm in jail, but all the time God is doing something so beyond us and our circumstances, and if we could just tr- trust him in those moments. It's, just fight. it's hard, that's why it's called the good fight. Not just like, okay, I get it, i walk out here and do it. Nope, you gotta fight. You have to ask God to help fight. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending flocks with his brother. It's our story. But this is a story of Jacob. Because through Jacob, the Messiah was gonna be delivered. I can tell that some of you are still refraining from mind blow. <laughs> when you read the genealogies in the Bible, let's, let's just confess it, they are the most exciting parts of the Bible. Okay, we know that, But Ness- they're in there for a reason. I know one guy, I love to study, he says sometimes the, the Bible is not exciting. Some parts of the Bible are not exciting to read, but they're exciting to study. And the genealogies are that way. When we look in the, in the first book and the first chapter of the New Testament, here's what we see. Abraham was the father of Isaac. And Isaac was the father of Jacob. And Jacob was the father of Judah and his brothers. It's a plural because then you go to the father of Perez, Perez to the Hezron, Hezron the Ram, Ram to Abimadad, Abimadad to Nashon, Nashon to Salmon, Salmon to Boaz, Raham, Boaz. They're all single, but the brothers, the remnant that was saved because Joseph fought the good fight for a greater purpose. In the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the promised Messiah, are the brothers And the brothers weren't saved just because they were good guys. They actually weren't good guys. They were saved because in their lineage was the Messiah of Jesus Christ, Boaz and Obed and Ruth and Jesse, and Jesse was the father of King David, and he shall be called the son of David. Think about that. Now, you can release all locks, and your mind can certainly be blown. Genesis chapter 50, which has now become Joseph, his most famous statement. And he says to his brothers, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives on a cross on Calvary. That, my friends, is stunning. A little assignment for you especially for those that are going through a tough time. Write five things you're learning. I challenge you to that exercise. Learning about your character, learning about your weakness, learning about what God might be doing, because then you'll be fighting the good fight. I'll join you in that challenge. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, so much for for blowing our minds and your Bible and the word today when we say that God because you not only knew about the famine but you also knew about the spiritual famine the world would have in need of Jesus Christ and the story seems about one man but it's not even about him story seems about brothers but it's not about him and we feel the same as you know God some of the things that we go through are this just a gravitational pull toward shadow and we become so microscopic in our thoughts so father today i especially pray and as brothers and sisters in christ we also pray maybe you're having the best week best month of your life but we're told to rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep so we're going to we're going to Empathize here in our prayer and pray God for those that we know personally or maybe people we don't know even sitting here or sitting at home that are going through the foggiest most painful most confusing perhaps most angry chapter of their lives or some variation of that we're praying for you if that's you right now we're praying this whole room the people at home are praying for you. Hundreds of people are praying for you right now. And we pray that you will fight the good fight. We pray, Father, for those that are in these chapters that are confusing and, and just sometimes demeaning and all the things that we've talked about. God, we, we pray for a fight for the bigger picture write things out. What are we learning here? What are are you teaching me? And maybe there's a question mark you're going to fill in. But at the end of the day, and in this moment, God, we trust you. We trust you. You're sovereign. We need you. We thank you in all circumstances. I invite you right now, if you are Just going through one of these chapters. It's your turn. Just thank him right now. Thank him for what he's doing. Thank you for what what you don't even know what he's doing. Because hard chapters don't subtract all blessings. Thank him for your blessings. They're there. You just have to see them. You'll see them when you thank him for it. Father, today we thank you for this great story, the gospel of Jesus written in the book of Genesis. That long before we knew we needed him, Jesus had every single human being in his heart to come in a ridiculous fashion when we turned our backs to lay himself on a cross. Thank you, God, for that to die for all of humanity as the perfect Lamb of God, He who knew no sin, who became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God, that we might be right with God. We pause now and pray now for those of you that are searching for God and trying to make sense of your life. You'll never make sense if I could just save you a lot of pain and, and perhaps years. You'll never make complete sense of your life without Christ at the center. Why do I say that? <laughs> because Christ is the only way. He's the only Lamb of God to die to make you right with God. So you'll never have a connection without, with God without Christ. It's that simple. It seems, it seems like a bold statement, but it is because no other Lamb of God has walked this earth, sinless, perfect Lamb of God, born of a virgin suffered, died, rose again, the Messiah promised from the first pages of the Bible. Now it's your turn. This is the moment where you sense God drawing you and he's drawing you in the most simple of ways to have a relationship with you, to ignite a different life in you, a new life that you'll never find on your own. You'll never be good enough to to earn it from God. That's why Christ came and died on a cross and said it is finished. Your pursuit is finished when you find Christ. Now listen. If this is deeply resonating with you, again, whether you're in this room, you're sitting at home, you're in your cubicle at work, you're riding a bike, wherever you are, stop, pause, and consider your need for Christ. Consider your need for God and if your desire is to know him, Acknowledge to him your brokenness, that you are separate from him. Because if you don't acknowledge that you're a sinner, you won't need a savior. But when you're ready, you will. Every Christ follower that is sitting here listening to this will will tell you, I came to a place where I said, God, I need you so much. I'm a sinner. Acknowledge that, confess that to him. And then trust in Christ alone. Don't trust in religion. Don't trust in being at a church service. Don't trust in a priest or a pastor. Trust in Christ. Don't trust in your good behavior, changing your behavior, being a better person, obeying the golden rule or ten the commandments. Trust in Christ. Your trust in Christ translates to being righteous before God, to being right with God because Christ, will forgive all your sins if you say, I confess to you, God, I'm a sinner. I'm asking for the forgiveness of all my sins. I'm asking for a new life. Is that your prayer? With no hesitation, speak to him. God, I need you. I am a sinner. I want Christ as my Savior. I trust in him alone. I turn my life 180 degrees around and run to you, God, like the prodigal son. Is that you? Are those your footsteps? and I fall on you and I trust you, God, completely. I want to be your child, God. Is that your prayer? I want to be your child right now. Thank you, Father, for your magnificent plan to save a planet of humanity that could not save themselves. We love you in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Mm -hmm. Thank you for joining us. And special thanks for those of you who give generously to make this ministry possible. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can also subscribe or share it with your friends. For more information about 360 Church, visit us at the360church.com.